How's your 2020 going? Is it going as well as mine is? I think when, uh, last time I was, had the opportunity to preach, it was back in January. And so since January, we've had, um, we've had uh, a pandemic. Uh, we have had murder hornets. We have had hurricanes. We have had tornadoes. We've had earthquakes. We've had protests. We've had riots. What happened to the murder hornets? Did we just skip right over those? They kind of got a little bit of press, but not much. But as I was thinking about 2020 uh, and reflecting on 2020, a couple weeks ago, uh, Danielle took the girls down to her parents, and they were at the beach one day, and she sent me a nice little video. And when I saw the video, I said, this is a perfect representation of 2020. So if you look at the screen, uh, wait for it to start back over there, already playing on the beach, and there goes, boom! hit with a giant wave. Don't worry, no kids were damaged uh, in the making of this video. Uh, but even though this video is lighthearted, it's funny, it's a way for us to think about uh, the way our 2020 is, I'm sure that a lot of you uh, felt like Kaylee and Catherine in this video. As soon as you are comfortable and get ready, another wave of something comes and knocks you over, whether uh, we all know uh, the things that have gone on this year. And, uh, and so what has happened all of this year has caused an already anxious world to become even more anxious, even before 2020. Did you know that anxiety disorders are the most common illness, uh, mental illness in the United States, affecting 40 million adults? That is 18.1% of the population every year is affected by anxiety. And then when you look at anxiety is so commonly linked with depression, which brings in a whole nother set of people into that number. Anxiety was already on the increase even before January 1st of 2020 rang in the books. But 2020 has done nothing to slow it down. In fact, the events of 2020 have tossed gasoline on top of an already raging fire. Now, I'm a pretty calm person. If you've been around me any length of time, if you've seen, you, I'm pretty laid back. Uh, that's one of the things people say about me most. Now, I'm like a duck. Uh, I'm very calm on top of the water, uh, but if you've ever seen a duck's feet underneath the water, they're just paddling, paddling, paddling. That's me. But I, can t I take things in stride. I do pretty well. But 2020 has even brought this laid-back Georgia boy, some anxiety uh, along the way as each time you think you're comfortable and then another piece of news comes about. But what about you? How are you doing? How have you been doing? Are you quiet on the inside or are you anxious? Anxiety creates noise and friction within our hearts and within our minds. What is the noise going on inside of you? Where did it come from? Where can it really go? Are you worried? Are you irritable? Are you wearied? Are you tired? Are you hopeless? How can you regain your composure? Or for some of you in here and online, you may have not had any composure to begin with. 
Psalm 131, which is the psalm that we're looking at today, gives us a glimpse into an ongoing conversation that someone, uh, from someone whom God called a man after his own heart. Over the next few minutes, we're going to dive into this psalm uh, written by a man who is truly close to God. And we'll be able to see how we can obtain the kind of peace that is written about in Psalm 131, how we can have that peace of God within us. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 131. Surprisingly, it's after Psalm 130 and right before Psalm 132. So uh, page 777 in my Bible. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 131 is one of the shortest psalms in the Bible, but it has so much to say to our hearts today. Charles Spurgeon once said that this psalm is one of the shortest to read, but the longest to learn. Someone else once said that the person that lives this psalm is quiet on the inside. He is not obsessed. He is not noisy. He's not on the edge. The to-do list and pressure to achieve do not consume him. Ambition does not churn inside of him. Failure and despair do not haunt him. Regrets don't corrode his inner experience. Irritation and dissatisfaction do not devour him. He is just... Psalm 131 gives us access to the inner life of someone who has learned composure and contentment and invites us to join him. Psalm 131 is a show and tell for how to become peaceful on the inside. Listen to the psalm again. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, my soul is my soul within me. O Israel, hope is in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Do you hear the calmness and assurance that comes from the words that the author has written. The writer is living out Philippians 4, 7, thousands of years before Paul penned the words. He has a peace that passes all understanding. Who could this writer be? The man that penned these words must have been some recluse with no ambition or drive. Surely to achieve this type of peace must have meant he was able to sit on a mountain all day, and gaze and wonder at the awesomeness of God. No. The author of this psalm is none other than King David. 
David's life has been well documented, so we know the struggles and battles that he had in life. David was the youngest of eight and a fierce protector of his flock. He was talented, strikingly handsome. He was a strategic and loyal soldier. He was an excellent political strategist who secured the throne. But he was also an adulterer. He was a murderer. And at the end of life, he was a betrayed old man. But when we look back at David's life, we see two things that are absolutely true. The first, the Lord knew David. The Lord called David. The Lord anointed him, loved him, and blessed him. God was with David. The second thing we know is David knew the Lord. David gave his life to God. He walked with God. It is this man who lets us into his stream of consciousness as the author of Psalm 131. Now, before we go any farther, let's get straight what Psalm 131 is not. It does not portray blissful, unruffled detachment from life. It is not a meditative state of higher consciousness. It's not about becoming philosophical about life. It's not about having an easygoing personality or having low expectations so you're easy to please. Psalm 131 is not about retreat from the troubles of life. It is not about sailing into the sunset detached from all reality. It is not about quieting the inner noise with a glass of wine or some form of medication. David was a kingdom builder. He expected and achieved huge things in the midst of commotion and trouble. He experienced pressure, joy, heartache, outrage, affliction, courage, Psalm 131's inner quiet comes in the midst of actions, relationships, and problems. And we should really approach it in the same way. Psalm 131 contains big things inside a tiny little package. So let's dive in. Look at verse 1 a little more closely with me. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. So the first thing that we see is that David, what David chooses to do is to state the result of his inner quieted soul. He's giving you the the what happens. If you're able to quiet your soul, here's what happens. We get to see these results, and they first whet our appetite. It gives us something to look forward to. From the beginning, David helps us see that faith delivers us from our biggest problem, ourselves. David is quiet. He has consciously distanced himself from everything that rattles us. To be able to say that you are not something... You really have to know what it's like to be that something. So the first thing that David really identifies is pride. 
Now, have you ever tried to tell somebody that you're not proud? Because in essence, to say that you're not proud is really kind of prideful. Oh yeah, so I'm not proud, don't Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. But you have to understand where David's heart is here. What we're getting, what we're able to see with this psalm is this is David's words to God. This is a relationship that David has with God, this personal relationship that he has. And, we're, and this is his journal. We're getting to see his inner heart. We're getting him to see him have a conversation with the one true God. He's writing this as a reflection, and he's not writing it as a result to tell people about himself. He's not sitting here writing it to say, oh, look what I have overcome. I'm a peaceful man. Here's how I got here. No. He's writing a song out of his heart to worship his God, who already knows his heart. If you were to be really honest with yourself, isn't pride what brings so much noise to our lives anyway? Isn't it pride that brings so much unrest to our souls? In fact, I would probably say that pride is the root of most sin, if not all sin. It is the idea that my wants and my desires are more important than your wants. In your desires. My wants and desires are more important than God's. I mean, look at Adam and Eve. It's not the fact that they sinned. It was the desire to have something that they thought was better because they were told they couldn't have it. They thought they could achieve something to put them on the level with God. And so they put that want and that desire above their relationship with God. They put their needs and their desires above all else, which is what caused the sin. Let's look at it this way. I want us to look at Psalm 131 in a little bit different light. I want us to look at it from a prideful point of view. And to be real honest... We're going to look at it from a point of view which has gotten a lot of biblical interpretations in trouble. We're going to look at this with us as the focus and not God as the focus. It may help us understand um, a little bit better what what the psalm is saying. And so this is called the Anti-Psalm 131 by a man by the name of David Paulison who is a Uh, Christian counselor. Self. My heart is proud. I'm absorbed in myself. And my eyes are haughty. I look down on other people. And I chase after things too great and too difficult for me. So, of course, I'm noisy and restless on the inside. It, It comes naturally. Like a hungry infant fussing on his mother's lap. Like a hungry infant, I'm restless with my demands and worries. I scatter my hopes onto anything and everybody all the time. Does that help make David's point of view a little bit better? A little more clearer? 
the noise inside of us that it's created by sin becomes so evident when we look at it from that perspective. When we put ourselves at the center of everything, we create a lot of noise inside because we are never satisfied outside of God. There's nothing we can do to fill that hole with us as the center. We can only be satisfied with God as the center. Every day, we are trying to distribute our pride to ourselves and to others. And it really begins very basic in our lives. I just want a little respect and appreciation. If I could just hit the golf ball just a little bit farther, I could just make one more putt, things would be so much better. Is it too much to ask for approval and understanding and to be included? I would just like a little compensation and satisfaction for the way others did me wrong. If people would just own up and treat me right, I don't want much. If only I had better health, a little more money, a more meaningful job, nicer clothes, a restful vacation, then I'd be satisfied. I just want to be recognized. I want to be recognized as an athlete, as a musician, as an intellect, as a leader, as a parent. I want control. Who doesn't? I want to feel good. Doesn't God want me to feel good about myself, to have more self-confidence, to believe in my abilities? I want, I want, I want. Well, I want my way. I want the goodies. I want the glory. I want God to do my will. I want to be God. That escalated quickly. Do you see how things can change in our hearts? Now, I know you're sitting out there you're going, Dave, that's, that's not me. I don't, I don't want to be God. I don't want his job. I don't want that responsibility. I don't want God to do my will. But it's, do you see how easy it is for that ball to get rolling? It is just a little bit here and a little bit there of things I wish I had the breaks that I think I need. We can so easily get caught up in the lust for this world and pretty soon things begin to spiral out of control. That everything becomes so noisy inside of us. It's the noise of anxiety. It's the noise of irritation. It's the noise of despondency or ambition that makes perfect sense from the view of a proud heart. All that noise becomes normal. Growing up, my uh, uncle is a, is, he is now a retired pastor. I could figure out quite how to say that. He's now a retired pastor, and I would go visit them uh, on, uh, at spring breaks and sometimes during the summer and things like that. And uh, one of the churches that he was at, the parsonage, was uh, near the railroad tracks. And so during that whole week, uh, as the train came through at whatever hours of the night, you, it would always wake me up because I'm not used to a train being there. Well, and I was like, so I asked him, I said, how do y'all 
get through that? What, how does the train not wake you up? And they go, well, we just get used to it. I think that's what happens with noise in our life. When it gets so noisy for so long, we just get used to it. But yet it's still there. It still brings discontent. It still brings anxiety to our lives. But pride is not just about me. It's also about you. Look at the next line. My eyes are not raised too high. I must look down on you in some way. I must establish my superiority in some way. For me to look good, you need to look bad. Pride says I am right in myself. Eyes that are raised too high say, I am right compared to you. I know you have all seen this played out in real life. Aren't the people with low self-esteem the ones that tend to be the most judgmental to others? When we feel the most inferior to others, don't we tend to belittle, nitpick, hate, grumble, and criticize them the most? Our pride, no matter how beat down we feel, will always find something else to look down upon. This goes for our pursuits as well. David says, I do not occupy myself with things too great, too marvelous for me. Does this mean we shouldn't have goals and aspirations? Absolutely not. Does this mean that we should have goals and aspirations that are led by God and grow His kingdom? Absolutely. When the motivation for our goals gets confused between what, between what I want and what God wants, that's when it gets noisy. It's like this. When you live your life of pride, you're always on a ladder trying to get somewhere else. It's that ladder of success that we have talked about our entire lives. You're always trying to get higher. You're never wanting to get lower. But not only on your ladder of success, you're looking at everybody else's ladder and you're comparing yourself with them. Well, I may be here, but at least I'm not there. Well, I may be here, but man, if I could only get there, if I could only do what they're doing, You look down on others thankful you are not them. And you look up at others trying to achieve something that will never make you satisfied. One of the stories that I like to tell is of the golfer David Duvall. David Duvall was the number one golfer in the world. It's what drove him. It caused him to get in top physical shape. Uh, he, he, he battled and fought and got himself to where he could be the number one golfer in the world. He said, if I could just win a major, I'll be satisfied. So he finally did it. He won the Open Championship. And he tells in an interview later, he, he was holding the claret jug and he thought to himself, is this it? Is this what I've been working for? If you know anything about David Duvall's career, right after that, he began a descent. Part of his injuries, part of his things like that. But 
He lost that will to get better. He lost that drive. His life just got more noisy or noisier if you use proper grammar. A heart that is focused on Jesus is not lifted up or proud and is not reaching for unobtainable goals. It is completely off the ladder of comparison. When you, are, when you pursue what you are called to pursue, you have composure, not obsession. You have discovered what you are made for. When you go after the right things with an unselfish heart, you will always find it. You will always find where God is leading you. So our first point today is the first step into achieving this a peaceful heart. Get off the ladder. Quit comparing yourself to others and what they are doing. Find that peace of where God sees you. Find your peace in that relationship. So it took us a while to get to the first point, but I'm going to help you out. And uh, the second point comes right now. Once we're off the ladder, then we will find what David talks about next, which is the second point today. Live as a content child. Now that you've seen the result, David's given you a glimpse of the process. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child my soul, is my soul within me. How did he get to the place of a heart that is not lifted up or prideful? He has calmed and quieted his soul. He had to learn to be content as a weaned child. A weaned child, especially in David's context, only wants one thing from their mother, and that's to be fed. If they are hungry, they will fuss, cry, root around till they find that nourishment, till they find that food. And there is no satisfying that child till they are able to get it. But once a child has been weaned, that need has been taken care of. They are able to get food and nourishment from other sources. And so now that child can sit in, their, in his mother's lap as a content child and enjoy time with his mother without, without wanting for anything else. Now don't get me wrong. It is a process to get to this point. Much like the process it is for a child to be weaned from their mother. Because you are coming from a place which is one of pride, one of you as the sinner, that things of the world are meant everything for you to a place where it comes that that stuff means nothing to you. You're coming from a place of complete dissatisfaction to one of complete peace, to complete satisfaction. You are definitively different at the end of the process than you are at the beginning of the process. But there's not many levels to this process. You either have noise or you don't. And that's all 
part of, the, part of the process, and it's not easy. There is no magic bullet to the restless, irritable ways of your past. There is no technique, automatic formula, or standard answer. To compose and quiet your soul, you literally have to level it. You have to bring the bulldozer in and knock it all down. You have to be that new creation that Paul talks about and not constantly trying to live in the old creation. To quiet your soul, you have to silence the noise and you have to silence the turmoil. You have to shush your desires, fears, opinions, anxieties, agendas, and irritabilities. You have to be willing to do what David did and unplug from the noise of the world and not just, and not just get off the ladder. You've got to knock it down. You've got to make it where you can't get back on the ladder and start comparing yourself again. You've got to make it where you're not getting back on that ladder trying to obtain something that is unattainable. This is not something that will happen by accident. This quietness, is, it's not apathy. It's alertness. It is conscious. It's not unconscious. And this can only be done, hear me, by the grace and love a relationship with Jesus Christ can bring. That is the only way that this process can happen. There is no way you can go from a prideful self-love and self-will all by yourself. You cannot destroy this worldly pride by simply saying, I'm not going to be prideful today. Or I will not be irritable today. Or maybe I will, I will stop imposing my will on the world today. It's kind of like the old Bob Newhart clip that I've seen. Uh, the, the older Bob Newhart, not the new one with Larry and Daryl and Daryl. But where he's a psychologist and he walks in and a lady walks in needing some help and she's like, Doctor, I have this problem. I can't stop doing such and such. And he goes, well, stop it. And she's like, but here's what happens right before I run into this problem. He goes, well, stop doing that. She goes, well, you don't understand. He goes, just stop it. Just quit doing that behavior. It's not going to happen like that. A leopard cannot change its spots, and you cannot change your selfish heart all by yourself. You need the invasion of the Redeemer and the promises of God's loving kindness. You need help like a man drowning in the ocean. Someone drowning in the ocean cannot save themselves. They need someone to throw them a life preserver. There is only one thing that is strong enough to overpower and slay the unruly cravings that you have for this life. It is the promise that we have from God of what He can do in and through Jesus Christ. From God's side, we escape our prideful selves by being loved by Jesus Christ through the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. From our side, we escape ourselves by learning a lifestyle of intelligent repentance, genuine faith, and specific obedience. If we're real honest with ourselves, most of the noise we hear from our souls is generated by trying to control the uncontrollable. 
when we rest in the saving grace, the glorious work and incredible relationship of Jesus Christ, we find contentment that we've been searching for all along. We can rest in the arms of Jesus as a child sleeping in the arms of their mother, perfectly content, and more importantly, with quieted souls. Is there nothing more peaceful than a child sleeping in the arms of their mother? As a child, you used to be noisy, squirmy, and demanding, and some of y'all probably still are. Now you're able to sit still. This is the picture of learning peace to be perfectly content in the arms of your Savior. Now that we've looked at the purpose and the process, we can now turn our attention to the plan of where all of this leads. What is the reason for this quieted soul and the process to get there? Let's look at verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Put your hope in God and His plan. The Lord Jesus Christ is our hope. That is the hope that we have. That is what is obtainable. Pride dies as the humility of faith lives. Prideful eyes are lowered as the dependency of hope lifts them up. When you have hope, you stop pursuing impossibilities when you start pursuing certainties. You stop stop pursuing impossibilities when you start pursuing certainties. I mean, everybody likes a guarantee, right? Why would you pursue something impossible for something that's guaranteed? David reminds us of why we have hope. The first reason that we have hope, we are called. We are called by name. Israel, hope is in the Lord. Or Israel, hope in the Lord. The name Israel is not just a people group. It is God's chosen people. This call to hope is for everyone who are God's people. That includes me, that includes you. We are called to put our hope in the Lord now and forevermore. This means we are consciously and intentionally are about the business of learning and changing as we live with our teacher for life, Jesus. Second, we are called to hope in the Lord. Who is the one that topples all the ladders that lead to nowhere and to give you something better? He is our one true God, our Redeemer. He is the only one that can redeem us and topple the idols we construct that just create noise in our lives. Our hope is in the great I Am. We are putting our hope in the one who is calm. Our God is not frantic. He is not worried. He is not out of control. Before Jesus went to the cross... Jesus calmed his soul in the garden. 
aligned his will with God's will and placed his hope in the Father's plan and went to the cross in peace. Lastly, we are called to hope now and forevermore. Any confusion as, after those words as to when to give up hope? To be more specific, First Peter tells us to set our hope fully on the grace to be given you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we read this psalm in light of what happens in the New Testament, it gives fullness to the meaning and makes our hope even stronger because of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, as we try to put a bow on all of this and, and conclude this out, the inner quiet described in Psalm 131 is a quiet that is learned and it's learned in a relationship. This purposeful quiet is achieved and is not spontaneous. This quiet is conscious, alert, and chosen. It is work blanketed by the grace of God and cannot be achieved alone. It happens in a living relationship with someone else. You are discipled into this type of calmness and peace. Can you get to this quieted place? Absolutely. That's what God's been waiting on. Psalm 131 is from a man who leads you by the hand to this quiet place in your soul. David's trying to bring you along. Even down to the last verse where David stops talking to God and he starts talking to us. Psalm 131 aims to become your words as a chosen, anointed, loved, and blessed child of God. Listen to this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. For those of y'all that follow John Piper and his writings, this, this has been the basis of his ministry. This is the essence of Psalm 131. When we can put ourselves aside and find complete satisfaction in God, He will be most glorified in us. Today, today, tear down those ladders of comparison and find complete satisfaction and peace in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our sermon and sentence today. As we live in these uncertain and anxious times, resting in our relationship with Jesus helps us get off the unhealthy ladder of comparison, find contentment in our risen Savior, which gives us hope now and forevermore. These words of David give us hope. The, the, if you notice in your Bible, it's, it's written a song of ascents, and these were songs that were sung by God's people as they went to worship God, as they went up to the city of Jerusalem to, uh, to worship Him on the high holy day. These should be our same words as we prepare ourselves for worship each and every day. Um, in fact, uh, for those online, 
the, if you did the printout at the bottom, uh, this, these, Psalm 131 is written. For those of you here, uh, it is written at the, on the inside of, opposite side of where your notes are, uh, is the scripture. I would love for you to cut that out, put it on your mirror, put it in your Bible. I would love for you to memorize the scripture. Because what a beautiful act of worship and to memorize these words and make these part of your life each and every day. To be able to wake up and face the day saying, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let this be your prayer as you face each and every day. Y'all pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for allowing us to be in your scripture today, for teaching us today, for showing us what this peace and this calm is all about. But Father, we know this is unattainable within ourselves. But Father, you're, you're throwing us a lifeline. You're throwing us a preserver. Your Son, Jesus Christ, is there to save us. And that's the only way that we can have this peace and this contentment that we see David write about. So, Father, as we head into this time of invitation, I pray that you speak to our hearts. Show us what this type of peace and contentment can look like. Because we have so much noise that's around us today. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.